thrilled to have in studio with us a friend, one of my most favorite millennials, Stephen Kessler. He has his doctorate in higher education from the University of Rochester. Stephen Kessler, welcome today. Thanks for having me, Kim. Let's jump into socialism. Socialism seems to be the darling of many millennials these days. And in fact, the young congresswoman from New York, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, is an avowed socialist. And there seems to be an affinity for this. What's your comment? Sure. So let's talk about socialism. And we're going to talk about what exactly it is and where it really comes from. So we can really get at the root of why it doesn't work and why we don't believe in it in this country. So the fundamental premise of socialism is Jean-Jacques Rousseau's negation of original sin. So Rousseau believed he was born in the the early 1700s. He did all of his work in the mid to late 1700s. He died in some kind, sometime around 1780, but he is the godfather and patron saint of liberalism. Rousseau believed that we were born benevolent, naturally good, and pure, but, 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 we were corrupted by society. Evil comes not from within, but is introduced from without via society. And that by tinkering with society, we can get rid of evil altogether. Now, that's the most important premise in liberalism and the most important premise in his thought. That, however, is merely the surface. If we dig a little deeper, we understand that Rousseau said the following. The fundamental principle of all morality upon which I have reasoned in all my writings and which I develop with all the clarity of which I am capable is that man is a being who is naturally good, loving justice and order, that there is no original perversity in the human heart, and the first movements of nature are always good. Stephen, this is totally opposite, though, of what the founders of America thought, and they they thought about original sin that... So it's it's totally opposite, right? Yes, correct. If you read through the Federalist Papers, you'll hear them talk about constantly talking about the corrupted and fallen nature of man, as well as the fact that man is capable of both good and evil, which is an ethical dualism. And that's the classical way of, um, you know, the classical mode of thought about man's nature. Fallen from original sin, plus the capability of doing great good. The, you know, the uh, the figurative angel on this shoulder and the figurative devil on this shoulder. Rousseau? No devil, just the angel and society. Well, how would Rousseau explain that under socialism in the last century, that, that government entities killed more individuals than ever in the history of mankind? How would he explain that? So I actually think he would be appalled by it. Edmund Burke, who was his foil in the 1700s, talks about that in Reflections on the Revolution in France, that they used Rousseau's philosophy to enact the French Revolution, and they were cutting people's heads off and parading them around with pi- on pikes, you know, people's heads on sticks. He says in Reflections that he thinks Rousseau would actually be appalled by this. But I think it's important to understand, I want to get into a little bit more about this notion of corrupted by society and how it, can affa- and how it affects socialism today. Okay. So Rousseau had this theory. We were living in, in this state of nature. Man was living in utopia. And then suddenly society ensued, and with that ensuant society, our corruption began. Now, how did society exactly ensue from the state of nature, which, by the way, has never been substantiated? Nobody can ever say, oh, yeah, state of nature, uh, Detroit, 1972, great year for the state of nature. Mm -hmm. There is no state of nature that can be proven. So 
He said the following, The first man, who having enclosed a piece of ground, bethought himself of saying, This is mine. The first guy who acquiesced private property, who said, Mine. That is when society began, and with it, our corruption. And he also says something, he goes, The moment one man began to stand in the need of help of one another, from the moment it appeared advantageous to any one man to have enough provisions for two, equality disappeared, property was introduced, and work became indispensable. And you'll note that he says work became indispensable. Now, what was the punishment for original sin? In the Garden of Eden? Yeah. yeah. It was work. Labor, yeah. And he says that it wasn't necessary, which is just false. You know, we just don't believe in that idea. And so he believes that, number one, private property is the cause of society, which is the cause of our disruption or our um, corruption. And that, number two, labor is not necessary to man's constitution. So if you want to know why the socialists hate private property, it's because private property is the cause of society, and they hate, and they believe society is the cause of our problems in the world. Okay, just a question, because sure. a lot of the politicians sure. that are advocating uh, for socialism, they like their own private property, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's two questions. There's actually three questions I always ask liberals. One of them, do you have any skin in the game? Because if you have no skin in the game, it's no skin off your back. And so they have fences. They have private property. And what they're saying just doesn't apply to them. It applies to everyone else. But wait, I thought that, that under socialism, they're advocating for equality, that everybody is, is treated the same. So why is it that they think that they are, don't have to adhere to the rules? So Thomas Sowell has a point or has a phrase called the vision of the anointed, that these people have eaten from the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden, and, aha, they are now in possession of super-secret special knowledge that the rest of us idiots lack. And, that's be- and they are better than us. They exist on a higher moral and spiritual plane than the rest of us, and we plebeians, we, you know, swinish multitude, we need to get out of their way and let them implement things so that they can bring us utopia. Stephen, this is so different than what I understand of our founders. Now, they've been given a bad rap. They have been called landowners, that they were using uh, the political uh, clout that they had to make sure that they were able to keep their private property and and try to make them look at as, uh, you know, greedy old white men. When in essence, I don't think that people understand that they actually put all that on the line because I think that they believed in the individual. I think they they didn't look at everyone as the unwashed masses. They looked at themselves as equal, I think, in the sight of God. Sure. So Russell Kirk, who's a famous historian, founder of the conservative movement, says that the conservative strives for two types of equity, equality before the law and equality in the eyes before God, equal judgment before God. We don't want equity after the fact. And that's something President LBJ was big on. He was like, he was the most contemporary of equality after the law, forcing us to be equals. And so the liberals believe in the natural equity of man, as I said before, that we are naturally equals. And so what they're attempting to do is to restore the natural equity of man. Now, it's important to understand Edmund Burke, once again, who was the foil to Rousseau, was real firm on this idea that we are not equals. We are born first and foremost into families. And in the family unit, we learn of the just hierarchies in the world, that we are, you know, parents are up top 
and children at the bottom, and that this, this is something we're supposed to be socialized into at a very young age. So what I really want to talk to you about when it comes to equity is question number two that I always ask liberals. Are we bringing people up or are we yanking people down? When we bring people up, it's a good thing. But when we yank them down, it's the hallmark of the emotion of envy. When it's not about me rising, but you falling. It's not about me winning, but about you losing. And it's not about me having what it is you have, but about you not having it at all. That's envy. And so that's what it comes down to with socialism. If you really you know, dig into the nuts and bolts, it's less about the poor rising, and it's more about the rich just not having it. And so that's why Winston Churchill refers to socialism, or referred, may he rest in peace, as the politics of envy. Well, envy does nothing for someone's soul. And, and we're, seeing, we're seeing that playing out in the divisiveness that's occurring in a, America today. Uh, and, you know, Stephen, I think that this has been percolating for a while because there's been the narrative out there that if someone is successful... They must have taken it from someone else. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things, I'm not an economist, but one of the things I've learned from Thomas Sowell, to bring his name up again, is that the liberals often have a zero-sum conception of economics, that every dollar earned by the rich is a dollar stolen from the poor. And so it's, it's all about taking things away from the rich and yanking them down. But in doing so, then this creates government programs, which the elite are so smart to run. And they make sure that they take their cut as the money goes by, as they've taken from, quote unquote, the rich. And they take their money as the money goes by. And many times you're seeing instead of uh, a problem being solved, then let's take homelessness, for example. Sure. The, the more that socialists become involved with this, uh, the, the more homelessness that we have. But these elite are living off of this problem, and so they want to perpetuate that instead of helping people. Yeah, um, the government is bad at everything they do, and they're not helping anyone but themselves, and they're masking it as human compassion. And, you know, Stephen, the other thing, it's not just really the government. And, okay, I have to ask, is there anything that you think the government does that's good? The military. Okay. Periodically. So here's the deal. Edmund Burke once said that they who mean to do well should fear doing ill. Burke was a big believer that the government cannot do good, but the government can really only prevent the harm. There's a term for it. It's called the cobra effect. It's when people actively attempt to do good but somehow end up making things worse. It's a guy named Horst Siebert. He was a German, uh, I don't know if he's still alive or not, but German sociologist or anthropologist. And that the government is really only capable of preventing the harm. We can't actively pass positive legislation to make things better because it almost always backfires. Okay, let's hold that thought. We're going to go to break. But I want to ask where we went from representatives uh, of the people in our government to where we call them lawmakers, because I'm not sure that we need a whole bunch more laws. So Stephen Kessler, let's go to break. When we come back, I'd like you to unpack that for us. We have in studio with us Stephen Kessler. He is a millennial. He has his uh, doctorate in higher education from the University of Rochester. And he has a number of published pieces that I think you would really enjoy reading. And you can find them at thevogelinview.com. 
That's the Vogelinview.com. It's V-O-E-G-E-L-I-N-View.com. As we went to break, uh, I had mentioned that I think that there are a number of people that get elected. And instead of being representatives, as, as instead of looking at themselves as representatives of the people, they look at themselves as uh, lawmakers. And uh, it seems to me, Stephen Kessler, that socialists can use law to try to control the people. They come in and they, they make decisions, they make laws that in essence they think will help people, but in essence it hurts people and it solidifies control with the lawmakers instead of making sure that we're getting the power back to the people, which was the vision of the American idea and the founders based really on Edmund Burke. Sure. So it's based on the natural law theory tradition. So the natural law tradition is this belief that God or nature, whatever you choose to believe, ordained the world around us with a law, the natural law. And that's the law of human nature. It's the law of science, things like gravity, things of that nature. And we cannot control that. And the government's job is not to give us new laws, is not to create the positive for us, but is merely to preserve the God-given natural rights. And that Friedrich Hayek once said, for those of you that don't know, Friedrich Hayek was, I think he was Austrian. He's an economist. Uh, He wrote The Road to Serfdom, Mm -hmm. which is a very popular book. Totally changed Ronald Reagan when he read that. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh That man did not invent the law. We merely invented legislation. And that positive legislation actively trying to shape the world around us often backfires and that what they're really here to do is to preserve our God-given rights, but unfortunately many of them have lost sight of that. Well, Stephen, it seems like with the elites and socialism, it is the elites and then the unwashed masses. And they, they make the case that they want to help people, and that is how they get elected. But in essence, whatever it seems like whatever problem they tackle... Instead of it going away, it seems like they should be working themselves out of a job if, in fact, they are tackling a problem. But instead, when government gets involved, the problem gets worse. And I am actually naming these as the homelessness industrial complex, the affordable housing industrial complex. Anything that it seems like they become involved in, the problem gets worse But yet these politicians, these bureaucrats that are in charge of these programs continue to have more power and get more money. So one of the things I want to articulate has to do with human nature. Modern neuroscience has taught us that man is not rational and logical, but rather we as human beings are emotional. We're illogical. And so anytime we try to dictate things via a formula, we say, hey, you know, if we do A squared plus B squared, we'll get C squared. We try to dictate human nature, human action with formulas. It backfires because we're wildly irrational. And we cannot make these things, you know, we cannot make human beings. As Adam Smith, the famous economist, once said, we cannot try to arrange the human beings like we do the pieces on a chessboard, to paraphrase. And so that's really what happens is they have these ideas and strategies and they say, if we do A, then we'll get B. And what happens? We do A and we do not get B. We get the color brown. Things, you know, things just don't work as we choose and want them to often. 
Well, and ultimately it, it hurts people. But let's let's talk a little bit about this. Socialists have, have used the uh, politics of envy, if you will. You had mentioned that. Yes. Whereas if the idea that somebody has gotten rich because they have tromped on people on the way up is antithetical to the real idea of free markets, entrepreneurism, capitalism in its true state, which means that if I come up with an idea and if I work hard and this is a and, and create something of value for other people, they will voluntarily give their hard-earned dollars for whatever it is, the product or service that I'm providing. And if I do that really, really well, then I'm going to get rich. Mm-hmm. Milton Friedman has a great little video on the Internet about him explaining a pencil. He's sitting there and he's holding a pencil and he says, the graphite was mined you know, here, the rubber was mined, was whatever, I don't know how they make rubber, but in Malaysia. and that From rubber trees. From, yeah. from rubber trees. They mine the rubber trees. No, they don't. But um, <laughs> from the rubber trees in Malaysia. And that so many people had to collaborate to make this one seemingly insignificant pencil. And everyone did so at their own benefit to profit. That that's how capitalism really works. But I want to read to you a little bit from Publius uh, Federalist Number 5. Okay. You know, do do the Federalists want equity? Do they believe that human beings should be tried and made more equal? And they say in number five, yet what human contrivance can secure the continuance of such equality? That um, those who have erroneously supposed that by reducing mankind to a perfect equality in their political rights, they would at the same time be perfectly equalized and assimilated in their possessions, their opinions, and their passions. And that we can't do that. We just can't make the inequitable world of life equitable. Because any attempt, those who attempt a level never do. They merely pervert the natural order, as Edmund Burke said. We do not want equality in the world outside of the law and outside of judgment before God. Okay, I'm going to bring this back down and simplify it just a little bit. As you were talking about that, it made me think of group projects in education. If you put together a group and you tell them that they're going to work together and they are going to earn their grade, what I normally have seen is that there's a couple people that do all the work and then the balance of the people don't. The free rider. The free riders, but yet they all get the same grade. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, when this plays out, those that work the most actually kind of get a little frustrated with the free riders. Sure. So it's a sense of resentment. Um, in John Hyde's book, The Righteous Mind, Why, Politi- Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion, it's a real popular book, real easy read, but very brilliant. He talks about how conservatives and liberals differ on their notion of equity, that the liberals tend to want more equitable results where the conservatives are about proportionality, fairness, and that it really grinds the conservatives' gears for the free rider problem. Well, it grinds my uh, gears as well. Mm-hmm. because and, and that is another thing in society then for equality. Let's talk about, mm, l- let's talk about retirement for people. Sure. So let's say 40 years ago, person A, you know, worked 15, 16 hours a day. They, they gave up, you know, maybe skiing, maybe hiking, you know, things that we, we truly enjoy, but they gave those things up and they built a business, 
and they are making more money, they're in a higher income tax bracket, if you will, than somebody over here that made a different choice not to work as hard. But then they get to retirement, and there is this narrative out there that we need to take from this person that has paid into the system, paid a lot more in Social Security, paid a lot more in taxes, and we need to even take more from them to equalize out their retirement. And ultimately, that plays out that the person that has worked so hard is really penalized and doesn't get to reap the rewards of all that they've done. Sure. So philosophically, one of the issues going on is that the liberals believe, once again, in the natural goodness of man corrupted by society. They believe that society is an arbitrary social construct. It's complete nonsense that is you know, predicated on, that is inequitably structured, I'm sorry, to favor white, male, able-bodied, cisgendered, heterosexuals. These people, people like me, white men, and to a lesser extent you, who's a white woman, we are successful because we step on the heads and shoulders of others, or as the Marxist term du jour, people of color. If we rearrange society, we'll take that advantage away, and these people of color will be able to rise up. And so that's what it's really all about, and they'll restore our natural equity doing it. That they believe that all of these advantages that the rich have over the poor are societally gained. Oh, my gosh. But Stephen Kessler, America is a place where everyday people with hard work can actually rise above all of this. You know, my story is such that my grandmother grew up in a two-room sod house on the plains of western Kansas with seven brothers and sisters. Now, think about it. They were dirt poor, if you will, because they were living in a sod house. And it was really because of of capitalism and and hard work that her granddaughter uh, gets to reap the benefits that we have here and now. Sure. So, number one, who wants to work? It's hard. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. I mean, who wants to do that when I can have stuff for free? Number two has to do with the real difference in how liberals and conservatives view the human condition. Remember, the fallen and tragic nature of man is what the conservatives view. The liberals, because society is the cause of our problems, by reordering society, we can really fix the evils of the world. And so the liberals don't believe that the human condition is tragic. You know, that that there will be people who are poor out there. Not everyone is poor because they're a victim of society. Some are poor because, unfortunately, there was a tornado that ripped through the town and it hit one and only one house. That, unfortunately, for some reason, my crops didn't grow this year. That maybe I made a bad choice in restraint or maybe I was just made, you know, maybe I invested in the Zoom. Maybe I invested in the Zoom. Maybe I banked all my money on Hillary winning and I lost because of that. And so they don't believe that there's a certain tragic nature to the human condition. Whereas the conservatives do and they're much more accepting of certain things. Okay, Stephen Kessler, we are out of time today. We've got to continue to talk about these important ideas. Stephen Kessler, give us our quote for today. Sure. So it's a quote from Edmund Burke, the original conservative, in 1797 in his Letters on a Regicide piece. It is the common doom of man that he must eat his bread by the sweat of his brow, that is, by the sweat of his body or the sweat of his mind. Every attempt to fly from it and to refuse the very terms of our existence becomes much more truly a curse. Okay, well, this is the Emeritus Stephen Kessler. Thank you so much. Be sure to read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well. 
Live honestly and authentically. Strive for high ideals. And like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson signing off. God bless you and God bless America. And I don't want no one to cry, but tell them.